Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. Right now, I switch pretty frequently between Chrome and the new Microsoft Edge that came out in January. Personally, I don't use Firefox that much. Internet Explorer I use, let us say, strategically at this point for just one thing. And I always thought having access to one web browser was plenty, but today we'll learn why that may not necessarily be true and why you may want to be familiar with more than one web browser. We'll speak with David Kingsbury from the Carroll Center for the Blind about his new book, When One Web Browser is Not Enough, a guide for Windows screen reader users that describes why this is true and why you might find a need for more than one browser. We'll talk about the book and how the various web browsers can be used with popular screen readers. But first for a tip of the week. This week's tip comes from David Kingsbury. Using multiple web browsers with screen reader programs has several advantages. Uh, the most important is that you'll be able to really capitalize on the strengths of those different browsers. And once you know one of the web browsers, it's not that hard to pick up uh, the basics of the other ones. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by a site. Wearable electronic eyeglasses that support visual ability for people who are low vision or blind with visual acuity of 2600 or better. More information about the AceSight family is online at acesight.com. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting David and learning about the Carroll Center for the Blind. So, David, you've been with us on Eyes on Success before, but you have a new book that you recently published. So can you remind our listeners who you are and what the name of your new book is? My name is David Kingsbury, and I am an assistive technology instructor at the Carroll Center for the Blind in Newton, Massachusetts. That's just a few miles outside of Boston. And my new book is entitled When One Web Browser is Not Enough, a guide for Windows screen reader users. And for people who might have forgotten, your old book was about working with Word documents, right? That's right. It was about uh, formatting Word documents using JAWS and NVDA. And speaking of screen readers, you're an ideal person to be writing some of these useful guides because you yourself are blind, right? Uh, yes, I am. I primarily use JAWS, uh, but that secondarily I use NVDA and increasingly Windows Narrator. And the book uh, attempts to cover web browsing with all three of those screen readers. That's a lot of combinations between the number of available browsers and the number of screen readers you just mentioned. Uh, it is, but I don't think I would tackle that if there weren't lots of similarities between the different screen readers. And um, uh, that's part of the good news, both for the screen readers as well as for the browsers, is that there are a lot of common keystrokes. And uh, once you know one web browser pretty well, as well as one screen reader pretty well, uh, the learning curve to get familiar with the other ones is not that steep. We'll be talking in just a minute about some of the details of what's in your book, but 
Maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about the Carroll Center. Uh, the Carroll Center is a rehabilitation center for uh, the blind and visually impaired. We uh, train people of all ages, but uh, the main cohort are you know people who have become blind midway through life, and you know they need to adjust. So we do independent living training, you know, such things as orientation or mobility, um, household management, uh, technology, of course, and a few other things like. Uh, like Braille. And it's a residential center, although, uh, you know, things have been quite topsy-turvy uh, with the virus over the last several months. But um, uh, now in the fall, uh, we're slowly getting back to uh, face-to-face training. How long have you been at the Carroll Center? Well, um, as a full-time trainer, I've been there since the beginning of 2015. But before that, I was actually a trainee myself. I, I became blind uh, suddenly in 2004. I went to the Carroll Center initially to get training myself in early 2007, spent about 12 weeks there, which um, is sort of the typical amount of time uh, for the rehab training they do. Between the training I received in 2007 and uh, the training that I now do, I've seen the place from both sides. So you said you went blind suddenly. Was this a surprise or did you have some sort of pre-existing eye condition? Uh, no, it was like a serious physical trauma. So it was uh, uh, it was overnight. And, you know, that was a big surprise uh, for sure. And it took me three years to get to the Carroll Center. I was actually living overseas. I had to move back here to the United States. Uh, and, you know, that initial transition was, well, it was the most difficult time of my life. Uh, but uh, by going to the Carroll Center, it, it's really a miraculous place. And I don't say that just because I, I work there. It really uh, changed my life around, really transformed things. And, you know, when I see people getting training, I know I'm not unique. You know, it can really have amazing effects on people. So without that, I don't know uh, where I'd be right now. I certainly wouldn't be as in as good a place as I feel I'm in now. Over the years, in all of the interviews that we've done, we've heard from many people about how transformative it was for them to receive the rehabilitation training that they did, whether it was at the Carroll Center or similar places. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is David Kingsbury's book about using various web browsers with various screen readers. Today we wanted to talk to you about your new book, and you talk about how people can use various web browsers, including Internet Explorer, Chrome, Firefox, Edge. And the question is, why would people want to know about so many different browsers? Um, that's a good question. I think there are several reasons um, for that. One reason is that, you know, if you're overly dependent on a single browser, uh, as we all know, uh, the Internet misbehaves sometimes with uh, screen reader programs. So you can easily get stuck with a particular browser on a web page. For example, you hit enter on a link and it doesn't work or you have an unlabeled button or those types of typical problems. And one of the first things you want to try is to see if it works 
better in a different browser. There's no guarantee that it will. But the more alternatives you have, uh, the better chance you have for it to work. And I've certainly come across those issues a number of times through the years when I do something on a web page and it doesn't work. I always assume there's something broken with the web page, but sometimes you go to another browser and everything's fine. So this is a good discussion to have. Uh, a second reason is that, you know, with assistive technology, if you can help it, you never want to put your eggs in just one basket. So if you only get to know one web browser, then Bad things could conceivably happen. You know, one example I give is that in 2017, uh, Firefox suddenly became inaccessible. And it took two or three weeks uh, for people to find a workaround. And if uh, you were totally dependent on just Firefox, uh, that was a major problem. But if you could switch to another browser, then it was more of a, a hiccup. The more tools that you have at your disposal and the more flexible you are about how you do things, the more options you have, the better able you'll be to perform a task and get it done. Yeah, that's right. What other reasons are there why one might want to use more than one browser? I think that uh, each of the browsers has strengths and each one has weaknesses. And uh, the more familiar you are with the different browsers, the better you are able you are to capitalize on those strengths and things are always changing. It's, it's all very fluid. And for example, recently uh, Microsoft announced that they're going to be phasing out support to internet Explorer uh, next August. And there's still a lot of blind people who have not yet made that transition to one of the other browsers. And I think this book can help them make that transition and one of the major takeaways is it's not that hard to do. Uh, it's really not something to be scared of. Change is often difficult for people. So tell us a little bit about how this book is organized. What would people find in this book? I first talk about uh, trends in browser usage because there has been a major evolution. That's the main reason that I wrote the book is because things change so much. You know, for a long time, uh, only Internet Explorer and Firefox were accessible for screen reader users. Yes. And now we have Google Chrome and Microsoft Edge, which are also accessible. So I talk a little bit about the trends of uh, the evolution of, of usage of those browsers. Uh, I also talk about accessibility, you know, the overview of the WCAG accessibility guidelines, because it's important to know what is accessibility and what can you reasonably expect in terms of accessibility on a website. And then I go into uh, things such as the various keystrokes you're going to use when browsing the web. And here again, the good news is that uh, there are many keystrokes that are common amongst the browsers. So the learning curve is not going to be that steep uh, to move between the different browsers. Yeah. So for example, if you're familiar with Typing H to go to the next heading in JAWS, that same keystroke will work in using NVDA. Yeah, many screen reader keystrokes are the same from one browser to the next. You know, H in headings is going to work in Internet Explorer just like it's going to work in Chrome. Right. The one area where there are differences are in the menu structure of the different browsers. So I spend some time talking about the menu structure of those different browsers. But there again, uh, there are differences but it doesn't take that much work to get used to them. 
Once you get past all the preliminaries, what else do you cover in the book? After that, I go through just a whole number of different settings, features of the different browsers. And I try to go step by step, browser by browser for each of those different types of functions or or features. And there's more in the book, too. But I would say that's the gist of it. And then at the end, I understand you have an appendix of all the various hotkeys and functions. And so there's an easy place to find all that once you've read the book or maybe if you skip through it quickly. Yeah, there are actually two appendices. So the first one is, uh, as you say, sort of a cheat sheet of uh, keystrokes. Uh, but then I also put in a second one, which is a glossary of Internet terms. Uh, and I think there are over 50 terms in there. So, you know, if, if you ever wonder what a cookie is or some of these other sort of interesting terms, uh, you can go in there and find short definitions of uh, those terms. It sounds like this book is intended for a range of experience among the readers. Who is the primary intended audience? I attempted uh, to make this a book that would work for relative beginners, as well as for people who are a bit more advanced. So, for example, as I said, you know, I talk about uh, the main keystrokes as well as strategies for using those. Now, that would be review for a lot of people who've uh, done a lot of web browsing. But I thought that was important also for relative beginners. I, I assume very little initial knowledge here. Uh, but then again, you know, we have some chapters where I get a bit more into the weeds in terms of pointing out the steps for perhaps some of the more esoteric settings that you find in the different browsers. So again, I tried to make this potentially relevant and useful for a range of user experience. So basically, a beginner could read the first chapter or two, practice for a few weeks, and then come back and read some more of the book and still get use out of each segment. Yeah, something like that. And again, when I get into these individual settings, that's probably meant a bit more as reference. Uh, I don't think you necessarily read cover to cover unless, uh, you know, you're having problems sleeping at night. I'm going to <laughs> help you out there. And I've, I've also made sure to organize the book uh, using headings so you can you know, easily jump around from section to section and use it more effectively as a reference. And I should point out, even for people who are more advanced, to be able to see some of these specialized options and settings, they may not have been aware of them if they didn't go through all those options and settings themselves. You talk about the various plugins that you can use in browsers, like ad blockers and the like, to make your job a little bit easier or more pleasant. Yeah, that's right. Uh, again, People may not be aware of those, or they might have vaguely heard that there are these things called extensions or add-ons, and they've never really had the time to, to go and check them out. Uh, and then once uh, you do, you see that, oh, this is not that hard to do. And just knowing it exists can make a big difference sometimes. Uh, definitely. Yeah, for some of these topics, again, I learned a lot myself, so I'd never really used uh, add-ons or extensions, as they're called, in the past so I learned how to use those, and maybe even more important, I dug in and I found a few useful ones, because sometimes the biggest challenge is simply to know, you know which ones are, are useful. Oh, yeah, and there's bazillions of them. 
So to have someone sort them out and recommend a few that they find very helpful, like yourself, is is very good. Yep, precisely. So now you cover all four of these browsers. You talk about Internet Explorer going away in about a year. Do you have a favorite of these, or do you actually use all of these at one time or another? A little bit of both. First off, uh, in terms of favorites, you know, the ones that I use most commonly. Uh, right now, I switch pretty frequently between Chrome and the new Microsoft Edge that came out in January. Personally, I don't use Firefox that much. Internet Explorer, I use, let us say, strategically at this point for just one thing. And uh, one of the big points I make in the document is that if you use favorites or bookmarks a fair amount, which I do, I still really prefer favorites in good old Internet Explorer over bookmarks in the other browsers. And I talk in there a bit about how uh, you can use favorites in Internet Explorer and still be able to open them in whatever your default browser is. And I heard you talk about that on the Accessible World's Tech Talk podcast, and I had never appreciated how useful the favorites can be. I'll refer people to that podcast if they want to learn more, but it was very interesting to see how you made use of favorites and actually used that system in some of the other browsers. Yeah, I think generally, you know, when people uh, switch over to a new browser like Google Chrome or Microsoft Edge, one of the biggest problems or headaches they have is getting used to this new structure of bookmarks in those other browsers. And my own opinion is, yeah, you can get used to them, but I don't think much of them. Uh, but you can uh, organize things in such a way so that you can still use the Internet Explorer favorites and not have to worry about bookmarks in those other browsers. I agree. The use of bookmarks in some of these browsers is a little bit clumsy. And so I've tended to shy away from using bookmarks and actually just start typing the beginning couple of characters of a URL that is familiar to me. And often I get to things that way. And that will work certainly for uh, a number of them, you know, because it, uh, it auto populates, but you know, it won't always work for uh, all of them. And the nice thing about, you know, having some structure of favorites or bookmarks is that, you know, you can create folders and, you know, just gives you a lot more latitude to get to things, to group them together and so on. That's true. I guess these days there must be a reasonable amount of similarity between these browsers and how well they work, because a lot of them, I understand, are using sort of a Chromium engine under the hood. Uh, that's right. Well, of course, Google Chrome uh, was the first one to do that. And the new Microsoft Edge that came out in January um, was also using that Chromium platform. And of course, that wasn't by coincidence. It's just the Chromium platform was very popular. The Edge that existed uh, before that, because Edge first came out in 2015 when Windows 10 first came out, did not use the Chromium platform. Uh, it was not at all popular, you know, just very, very low usage. And I think that um, it's, it's becoming much more popular now. There are a few that I don't talk about that are sort of a bit more uh, obscure, like uh, Brave, but that also uses the Chromium platform. And I've come to really like that because uh, the menu structure, I think, for Chrome and Edge is leaner and meaner 
than uh, it is for Internet Explorer or for Firefox. And although I haven't run it with a stopwatch, I think Chrome and Edge are more efficient. Uh, they open things more quickly than do those other browsers. So if you're going to a particular website, how do you decide which browser to use? Do you have certain sites that you use certain browsers for? Uh, I do. And again, this is, for me, you know, based on you know, some of these uh, nice new features. So, for example, the new Microsoft Edge has a really nice feature, I think, called Immersive Reader, which uh, strips out sort of a lot of the clutter that is on web pages so you can concentrate on just reading the text. So if I know that I'm going to be going to read, let us say, an article on a website uh, that I know has you know, a lot of clutter on it, I'll open that in Edge, I'll use the Immersive Reader, and I have a very nice, clean, efficient reading experience. Or, you know, you hear the actual audio that you want. One of my favorite examples that I use for training people is I'll open up YouTube uh, and I'll search for uh, Stevie Wonder's song, Superstition. Now, I've clocked that. And, you know, a very popular song like that uh, has between two and two and a half minutes worth of advertisement. Uh, before you can actually get to hear the song. And sometimes there's a skip ad button and sometimes there isn't. But with this particular extension, the moment you open the song, it opens and you don't have all of those ads. So I don't know if this applies to ads on YouTube. Definitely for content, you can adjust the playback speed anywhere from one quarter of the normal speed to double speed, and they have set increments, but there's also a custom option. Uh, for ads and audio? I don't know about the ads, but definitely for the content on YouTube. Might be able to do that, but again, uh, with this extension you know, that I mentioned, you just get into YouTube, you click on that uh, video, and it just starts playing. Now, being able to skip those ads is really a nice feature, and I enjoy that with my ad blocker also. I don't want to have to listen to all that just to hear the YouTube video that I want to listen to. Yeah, so again, those are a couple of examples where, you know, I would start with one specific browser because, you know, I know where I'm going is going to work better uh, with that browser. I like that immersive reader feature. I'm used to using that on my iPhone with voiceover. When you use Safari, they have what they call reading mode. And, you know, if you're blind and you have to listen to all that garbage that's right in the middle of an article, that can be a real nuisance. But the immersive reader and this reading mode just overcome all that. And it's just like reading an article. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because, uh, you know, the iPhone with Safari has had that reading mode for I don't know how many, five years or so, for quite some time. And for some reason, it's taken uh, web browsers a little bit of time to catch up. And I think as of now, you know, Microsoft Edge has done the best job of that. Is that feature also available in Chrome or Firefox? That feature is not built into those. You can get uh, extensions that are called read aloud. And I've put that on my Google Chrome, and it works okay, but it doesn't work as smoothly as Immersive Reader, where you just get into an article, and you hit F9, and you're on your way. Got it. 
You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Now for this week's final item, how to get David Kingsbury's book, When One Web Browser is Not Enough, and how to contact both the Carroll Center for the Blind and him directly. So David, if people want to get your book, where can they find it? Uh, this book has been published by the Carroll Center, so you can get it on the Carroll Center website, and that is www.carroll.org. And when you get to that site, you can uh, go to the shop link, S-H-O-P for shopping, uh, because we have a place called the Carroll Store. And when you get there, you'll see the book. The price is $20, and it is available in uh, Word as well as in uh, BRF. And that $20 buys both the Word version and that BRF version. So you basically give people a link they can download the book. Uh, That's right. Yeah, there's a a PayPal link, although you don't have to have a PayPal account. And uh, yeah, you'll wind up downloading it uh, right to your computer, both of those electronic files. Well, that's where you're going to want that information is when you're sitting at your computer. That's perfect. And I guess people can go to that same website if they want to find out more about the Carroll Center and some of the services that they offer. That's right. Yes. If people want to contact somebody at the Carroll Center, is there some general contact information, telephone, email? I think the best way to contact the Carroll Center would be to call them. And uh, the phone number is uh, 617 969-6200. And is there a social media presence? Yes. The Carroll Center has uh, Facebook and Twitter, among others. And how about if people had questions for you? Is there a way they could contact you directly? Uh, the best way to contact uh, me would be by email. And that is david.kingsbury at carroll.org. So D-A-V-I-D dot K-I-N-G-S. B-U-R-Y at C-A-R-R-O-L-L dot O-R-G. And remind us once more about the name of this book. Uh, The name of the book is When One Web Browser is Not Enough, a guide for Windows screen reader users. And your previous book again was? Yeah. The name of the book is Format Your Word Document with JAWS and NVDA, a guide for students and professionals. And that's a great resource for people who have to have nice-looking Word documents for classes or even a professional situation. Right. Now, that one was published by the National Braille Press or jointly by the uh, National Braille Press and the Carroll Center. So that one is available at uh, nbp.org. And if you're looking for any of that contact information or you missed it in the audio, you can always go to the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. We hope you make good use of those show notes. Also, I want to remind our listeners that you can use the search field on our website to search for shows by show number, topic, or keyword. Just enter something like books or reading or NLS for National Library Service, And you'll find links to all of those shows, the audio and the show notes of each of those episodes, along with a summary of each episode. So try it out. 
That's it for show number 2047. Next week on Eyes on Success will be part one of a two-part series discussing programs and services from the National Federation of the Blind. They offer services and resources for people of all ages whose lives are affected by vision loss. We'll talk with Anil Lewis, the Executive Director for Blindness Initiatives for the NFB, about several of their programs and how they aim to help people with vision loss. We hope you'll join us next week to learn about those important resources. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy, and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.